0: Hey, how's everybody doing out there in podcast land? It is the latest episode of The Fortress of Rock. I am the maestro, Kevin Crane. This is episode 38, taping on Friday night, May the 6th, 2022. What's going on this week, kids? Star Wars Day, free comic book day, Mother's Day, of course, the most important of all. Plenty of things to keep you busy this week. We hope rock and roll will be one of those things. I'll have reviews coming up, some stuff you might want to listen to or stay away from coming up in our second segment. But of course, first and foremost, every week on the Fortress of Rock is news of the world in tribute to Freddie Mercury and Queen. And, of course, a big part of this first segment is going to be discussing the 2022 class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes, I know, I probably talk way too much, care way too much about the Rock Hall of Fame, even though this is a rock and roll podcast, but... Why do I let Jan Winter and his cast of cronies get to me year in and year out? I don't know. I just care so much about the music. I care so much about the integrity. Yes, there is integrity in rock and roll. There's a balance. It's like the scales of justice. On one side is the integrity the joy it brings everyone, the pureness. And on the other side, of course, is the drugs, the alcohol, the raunch, the sex. And I want to keep the scales in balance. I don't want journalists and rock critics destroying that balance for us, the fans. And it seems like year in and year out, The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is the perfect example of how they do try to destroy that balance. I'm not going to go on my rant here this week. You guys have heard it before about either change the name or stop putting in artists that are not rock and roll. We've got examples this week, of course. Now, I was kind of shocked. I don't know, maybe I was in sports mode and I was thinking that, like the NFL, they have to limit the class, the incoming class every year to five. But the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is bringing seven new performers, new acts into the Rock Hall in 2022. Now, of course, the 8th, quote-unquote, inductee that I care about. We'll talk about that in more detail here in a minute or two, which is a cop-out. Again, they will find a way every year to upset me. Now, of course, first let's talk about the fan ballot because the fan balloting ended end of day last Friday. And, of course, the last Fortress episode hit on that night, so we didn't have a chance to finalize the top five in the fan ballot. Again, maybe that's what, what was throwing me, too, was we only get five on the fan ballot, which which counts for a whopping, what, one percent of the final actual tally. So the top five in the fan balloting for the Rock Hall for 2022, were Duran Duran, Eminem, Pat Benatar, the Eurythmics, and Dolly Parton. And all five of them ended up getting in to the 2022 class. We'll talk about Dolly a little bit more in a second. Pure, sweet, innocent Dolly Parton, who probably pulled one of the most mischievous, devious, brilliant PR maneuvers ever to get her. People would have put her in anyway, I'm sure. She probably would have got enough votes, but we'll get to that in a second. The two other members the what i would call the official members of the class of 2022 are lionel richie and carly simon and i love reading all the different rock critics whether it be rolling stone ultimate classic rock who who try to to give their two cents about why this person shouldn't have been in why this person who didn't get in should have been in and a lot of whining and crying and bitching and pissing and moaning and complaining about Rage Against the Machine didn't get in. Why did Pat Benatar get in? Why did the rhythmics get in? This is the problem with the Rock Hall of Fame. You're never going to make everybody happy, but I'm telling you, they will find the way The best possible way, the easiest path to chaos. The easiest way to find a way to upset every fan base for the most part. To me, this personally looks like some kind of a catch-up class. Where they're trying to bring in as many people as possible to appease as many old school fan bases as they can while with Eminem still saying, hey, hey, we're still cool and awesome and we know, wink, wink, what what really cool new music sounds like. I guess I don't have a real big problem with this class. I've talked about it in the past. I'm happy Duran Duran got in. I am ecstatic. Pat Benatar got in. Um, My fan ballot, yes, for the first time ever, instead of going the way that my friends tell me to go, and they say, don't stress out like this about it. Stay away from the fan ballot. I would only vote once or twice every year. This year, I voted almost every day I possibly could if I remembered to. Every ballot the same. Duran Duran, Pat Benatar, Judas Priest, MC5, New York Dolls. Every single time. Never wavered, never changed. To me, it was a clear cut choice of five to put into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. I wouldn't have been upset if Devo got in. But uh, this is just, again, a really kind of non-offensive class of mediocre, mostly 70s and 80s pop stuff. The, the one that really upsets me is the eighth inductee. Judas Priest did get in, but they weren't good enough to get in on the quote-unquote official vote. So they get a, in on a special Music Excellence Award. And we see this in sports, too, in their hall Halls of Fame. They, they will find a way, loophole, to get somebody in who the voters just won't put in. We might see it someday down the road in baseball with the steroid era guys, for example. Look at heavy metal as the steroid era guys for the Rock Hall of Fame. They don't want to acknowledge them, even though it is one of the greatest forms of music ever oh but they found a way to somehow get judas priest in i'm in i would be insulted if i was rob halford and company i would be absolutely insulted i would say i don't want it this way put me back on the ballot and we'll try again next year now of course that would probably mean they would never get in So maybe now Iron Maiden gets back on the ballot for next year, or they end up getting the Music Excellence Award. I could talk about this for hours. I'll only do this for a couple more minutes. It's an absolute pathetic travesty that the Eurythmics, Dolly Parton, Lionel Richie and Carly Simon all get in ahead of Judas Priest. Yes, I'm even giving you Eminem. I will admit Eminem musically, not rock and roll, musically has been an unbelievably huge influence in pop culture. But the other four I mentioned, there is no way you can justify to me how they are in ahead of Judas Priest on the quote-unquote official ballot. A friend of mine makes a great point. He's He's been arguing with me about this the last couple months. We've, we're in agreement. I shouldn't say we're arguing, but how does Lionel Richie get in the Rock Hall of Fame before the Commodores? Put the Commodores in first before you put in sappy poppy Lionel Richie. Commodore's had a little bit of a harder edge Were a, a much more creative force in music to me than Lionel Richie. I don't care how many hits he had. I don't care how many records he sold because that doesn't seem to be the criteria for a lot of these critics when they they start ripping into Pat Benatar versus Rage Against the Machine. They get mad about Rage Against the Machine not being in because they're critics' darlings. But then they say Pat Benatar wasn't really overly well-reviewed, and she had, a what, a short, decade-long span of being relevant? Nirvana had one huge album. You could say that about Guns N' Roses yet they couldn't wait to open the doors to the Rock Hall of Fame to let them in. And I'm not saying they don't deserve to be in, but it's hypocrisy to try to to put your standards out there for what it takes to be in the Rock Hall of Fame. Is it critical love? Is it fan love? Is it sales? What is it? What is it? Longevity. What is it? You'll tear down one person or one group for being flawed in one area but then another one might have that area covered and none of the others i believe it was a guy on ultimate classic rock one of their writers who said about carly simon said okay i can think of three songs from her and that's it does that really warrant induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Good point. Excellent point. The Arrhythmics, now there was one another guy, I believe again on Ultimate Classic Rock, who was just ripping into the pick of the Arrhythmics, because he's basically saying it's sweet dreams are made of this and nothing else, which is not true. They did have A handful of other hits but I I just don't see how the arrhythmics get in ahead of a band like Boston or Foreigner Benatar Eminem Duran Duran the top three on the fan ballot to me they're no-brainers they should be in yes again Eminem if you're gonna go with the music style doesn't matter style of voting then yes eminem deserves to be in so those three are no-brainers to me everybody else you can debate on and this gets me to my last point on this before we move on dolly parton again i don't believe dolly parton should be in the rock and roll hall of fame don't care how nice she is don't care how good of a person she is I know she does a ton of work for charity. I know she's not rock and roll. I told you I wasn't going to belabor that point. But this whole PR stunt, and yes, I think it was a PR stunt that she pulled where she decided after the fan ballot had already been established for weeks and weeks and weeks, And she decides to come out and say, oh, I really don't think I should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because I'm not in rock and roll. But I'll do a rock and roll record, you know, if I get in. But no, you should withdraw me from consideration. Oh, poor Dolly, the martyr she is. Throwing herself on her sword. I don't even know if it would work with her boobs. I digress. So then the last week she comes out, right before the announcement and the fan ballot shuts down and says, okay, well, I guess I'll accept it if you guys put me in. Sure. I still think this was pure and utter public relations manipulation on the part of Dolly Parton. Fine. Play the game. I don't have a problem with it. I don't think any less of her for doing this, but I think it's absolutely and completely naive for the music critics, the music fans out there to not see this for what it was, a blatant, manipulative, insidious PR attempt on her part to get herself in by demurely, coyly saying, I know, don't put me in. I don't deserve it. I'm not rock and roll. And all of a sudden we're hearing, oh, maybe I'll get together with the Rolling Stones on this quote-unquote rock and roll album I promised. I better see a rock and roll album from Dolly Parton within the next couple years. That's all I'm saying. I better see a rock and roll album from Dolly Parton. Otherwise, she's another phony in a long, long line of phonies that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has put on a pedestal that have not deserved to be in the Rock Hall of Fame. (sighs) All right, moving on. Moments of silence. Some big names in music passed away over the last couple weeks. Not all of them rock and roll, but... We should mention, of course, the matriarch of the musical Judds, Naomi Judd, passed away. I was always a big fan of Earth, Wind & Fire. Yes, I am not a music snob. I do actually like other forms of music, even though I do not like rap and hip-hop. Or classical and I do not think rap and hip-hop artists should be in the Rock Hall of Fame that being said I mentioned the Commodores earlier right along with them back when I was growing up in the late 70s was earth wind and fire and I loved earth wind and fire their sax player Andrew Wolfolk passed away recently and then for our purposes the biggest one Randy Rand, the original bass player for Autograph, passed away within the past few weeks. And, of course, Autograph didn't really have a lot of big hits. They had the one monster hit that we all know to this day, one of the biggest anthems of the 80s. Turn up the radio. What a fantastic summer rock and roll roll down the windows, crank up the radio type of song. And of course, as I record this, I'm still waiting for summer. (laughs) Oh my Lord, May the 6th, and it's barely 50 degrees and it's raining. No sun. (laughs) Oh boy. going to be a short summer here where I live, it looks like, kids. All right, a couple other music tidbits before we move on to our reviews in segment two. A couple of tours have begun. A Rock and Roll Hall of Fame darling who got in on the first try. Pearl Jam are back out on tour again. I've seen them. They're good. I like Pearl Jam, not disparaging them. I don't think Eddie Vedder is the greatest human being in the world like everybody pretends he is. But we can discuss that another day. But if Pearl Jam's out near where you are and you can afford it, check them out. They always put on a good show. Now, on the flip side, is an influential rock band from the early 70s who just got rejected yet again from the rock hall. That would be the MC5. They are out on tour. Only original members: guitarist Wayne Kramer. Funny thing is, now this would be a knock against them. But again, this is the same knock I can use against Nirvana. And Guns N' Roses is the limited scope of the recorded music that they put out. The MC5 only put out three albums as influential as they were in the late 60s and the early 70s. But they're touring because they're finally putting out a new album called Heavy Lifting. And I saw a quote where Wayne Kramer, during their initial show on this tour, said something along the lines of, well, most bands put out a new album every two to three years. It takes us 50 to put out a new album. <laughs> Pretty funny. Pretty good stuff there. Finally, we've got another good old-fashioned rock and roll Donny Brook social media dogfight going on. Love it when the egos of rock and roll stars clash. Now, this isn't concerning the Rock Hall of Fame, but it is concerning Jan Wenner and his magazine, his rag, Rolling Stone, that he used to be in charge of. And they like to put out their lists of this, their lists of that. And, of course, they occasionally update their list of the 100 greatest guitar players of all time. And it's an awful, awful, awful list. Awful list. Because I remember the first time they put it out, they didn't have Eddie Van Halen anywhere close, anywhere remotely close to the top ten and then the the revised list they put out a few years later, then all of a sudden Eddie appears in the top ten. What changed? So Ted Nugent, who I know you don't like his politics, you don't like his attitude, you don't like the fact that he's a gun advocate, we get all that. And you should not hold that against him in terms of his music, but you will, and I get that. And I think it's wrong, and I think he should be in the Rock Hall of Fame. He will never, ever, ever get in because of politics. That being said, Ted Nugent is at war with Joan Jett. Ted Nugent happened to post something. I believe it was late last year when the latest updated Greatest Guitars list from Rolling Stone came out. And Joan Jett made the top 100. And Ted Nugent made it be known that he did not like the fact that that Joan Jett made that list. Now Joan Jett turned it around recently and started ripping into the Nuge, saying that, you know, was the Nuge jealous because he didn't make it and I did, and saying he's really not a tough guy like he pretends to be. Number one clarification, Nugent never, ever said he deserved to be in the list ahead of Joan Jett. He does. I'll say it. If he won't. And these stupid lists, all they are meant to do is incite controversy. If somebody actually had the gut, somebody actually had the cojones to put out true representative lists of the greatest guitarists, the greatest movies, the greatest albums, the greatest whatever, Number one, they wouldn't change from year to year or every five years. They would barely ever change. With a few exceptions, of course. But especially a list like the greatest guitarists of all time, that's not going to change all that much every 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Very small, incremental changes. But that doesn't sell magazines that doesn't get digital subscriptions up. So we've got to do crazy stupid things. And I already mentioned the Eddie van Halen. Travesty. Mark Knopfler, I remember was another one that got a really short shrift. Oh but Eric Clapton, oh my God, Eric Clapton. And I know Eddie Van Halen cites Clapton as one of his main influences i just can't stand clapton i think eddie van halen took what he got out of clapton and just shot to the moon with it clapton doesn't do anything for me yet of course everybody kisses his ass anyway back to nugent versus jet ted of course not one to stay silent Has responded now to Joan Jett's response and Nugent really did the smart thing number one he pointed out just like I said I he never said he wanted to be on the list ahead of her but then what he did was he started listing off a ton of guitarists he said this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. Why aren't they on this list ahead of Joan Jett? Now, of course, Nugent is not known for his subtlety, so he did take a couple unpc jabs at Joan Jett. But it all comes back around to what we started this segment, this discussion with. Does Ted Nugent deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ahead of Joan Jett? Does this person deserve to be in ahead of that person? One of the names he mentioned, now I don't think overall he's a great guitarist, I think he's a great rock musician, is Tommy Shaw. Where sticks in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Travesty. Now, of course, the one name that the first name that popped into Ted's head, because he is a huge, like me, huge Triumph fan. And, of course, the first name that he said was Rick Emmett. There is no way he said Joan Jett should be on that list. And Rick Emmett is not. And I completely agree with him. Triumph has always been a vastly underrated rock band from the 80s. But Rolling Stone hated them despise them. I remember they would get one-star reviews every time they put out an album. Them and Journey were the two that I always remember Rolling Stone liked to pick on. Now, of course, Journey has gotten into the Rock Hall of Fame. Good for them. Good for Neil Sean. Again, a better guitarist than Joan Jett. We'll see. We'll see if Joan Jett responds. Maybe we'll be able to keep this discussion going for another week. Ted versus Joan, who you got? I got to take a break. The Fortress of Rock with the Maestro will be right back. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Fortress of Rock podcast with me, the maestro, Kevin Crane, of course. That was segment one, the news of the world, our tribute to Freddie Mercury and Queen, where we look back at the past week in rock and roll and all the news and all the controversies that you deserve to know about. Next up is the heart of the show, the meat and potatoes. Breakdown, where we are going to review all the new songs, all the new albums, all the new concert tours, the shows that I've seen personally. Stay tuned for that. Of course, we're now available on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket PocketCast, and Radio Public, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, Hang out, kids. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Fortress of Rock. I am the maestro, Kevin Crane. Segment two, as always, breakdown here on May the 6th, 2022. We've been talking a lot about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, of course, this episode. So why don't we review some stuff from a few acts who are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and one who grudgingly, I will have to admit, might find their way in because, again, they're quote-unquote critics' darlings, and they just show me that the critics don't know anything. But we'll save them for last. Our album review of the week is the new solo LP from Ann Wilson, Fierce Bliss believe this is her third solo album and the only thing I can say about this is this makes me want heart to get back together more than ever not the best effort in the world but let's go through as we always do track by track first up Greed. We've talked about this song, reviewed it in the past. Pretty good. Pretty good standard rocker. Not a bad way to start the album. Arguably the best song on Fierce Bliss comes up next, Blackwing. Blackwing is a very cool song. Kind of reminded me a little bit of wanted dead or alive by bon jovi kind of had that mystical western type feel to it that slow burn like john bon jovi's blaze of glory had and of course wanted doa then after that, unfortunately, the album pretty much falls almost completely apart. Because the next nine songs leave a lot to be desired. There are a few passable tunes in there, but for just size, the third track isn't really very good, in my opinion. Lumbering, sludgy, barely passable um and i should point out here that even though i'm gonna pretty much give you a mostly negative review of fierce bliss the guitar work on this album is really good stellar even song four fighting for life number one i want to know when we started spelling fightin f-i-g-h-t-e-n That's taking a little bit too much in terms of creative liberties, if you ask me. How about fighting or fighting? I-N with an apostrophe? F-I-G-H-T-E-N. Right there as a little bit of a nitpicker. Drove me crazy right off the bat when I saw that pop up on my Spotify screen. And otherwise, the song is just boring, boring, boring. And then we get to the bottom point, the bottom of the well here for Fierce Bliss. Ann Wilson's duet with Vince Gill called Love of My Life. This is awful. I mean awful. There's nothing wrong with Ann Wilson's voice. I still say she's got one of the strongest voices in rock history when it comes to women. Hell, when it comes to anybody. That's why I was happy to see Pat Benatar get in. Now, of course, Ann Wilson is already in the Rock Hall of Fame through heart. But this is just an awful, awful attempt at a ballad. And Vince Gill... I know the Eagles brought him in, and I'm not a huge country guy. Oh, my God. He is embarrassingly bad on this song, embarrassingly bad. Track six, Missionary Man. We'll stick with our Rock and Roll Hall of Fame speech, or pattern, theme, Of course, the Eurythmics will have to come up with an acceptance speech since they are going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. Missionary Man is a a minor hit from the Eurythmics that Ann Wilson decided to remake for Fierce Bliss. The song itself I've always found intriguing. I've always thought it was one of the better Eurythmics songs. Um, Because I don't know lyrically, if you listen to it, it's a great question, a great mix. Are we talking about religion? Are we talking about sex? Is it both? Now, unfortunately, Ann Wilson just does kind of a ho-hum, mediocre job with it, so I'll take it. It ends up, (laughs) because it's mediocre, Instead of Utter Garbage, it ends up being one of the better songs on Fierce Bliss. Because then the next two songs are just not even worth discussing in detail. Gladiator and Forget Her. There are times, even though I like to go into detail and go track by track, I'm not going to waste your time or mine talking about songs that are so bland. Track nine, A Moment in Heaven, is interesting. Didn't hate it, kind of liked it. It's another one of those bitter songs about Hollywood. It's amazing how everybody seems to write songs about how awful Hollywood is, how it'll eat you alive. We reviewed the Black Moods Hollywood a couple weeks ago, same kind of theme as this song yet they all come running back. Nobody will stand up against Hollywood and California, the hypocrisies, the double standards, but nobody will do it because in the end, that's where they're getting their paychecks from. Really, they should look at it as they're getting them from you and me, but they never do. Doesn't matter if you're talking about rock stars, TV stars, movie stars, but I digress. Then Angel's Blues, track 10, again, another boring, nondescript song. And then I did like the final song, As the World Turns, was a nice mid-tempo Finale. So really what you got is you got two great songs or two pretty good songs at the beginning with Greed and Black Wing. Great song at the end, As the World Turns, and pretty much a bunch of garbage for the most part in between. So unfortunately, on this weekend, spend time with your mother on Sunday. Do not waste time listening to fierce bliss all right couple singles for you this week as promised second release from journey's upcoming album freedom is called you got the best of me this is a very very I don't want to say odd-sounding song. In the end, it's just a basic, generic, solid journey single with all the usual bells and whistles, the, the solid Neil Sean guitar work. I still say he is the one of the most underrated, along with Elliot Easton of the Cars, guitar players of all time. And I'm not talking about the long solos that Clapton or Eddie Van Halen, Stevie Ray Vaughan might indulge in. And You know how much I love Stevie Ray and Eddie. These guys weren't flashy and showy. But they know how to play a guitar solo, a quick, intense guitar solo for 30 or 40 seconds in the middle of a hit song that fits absolutely perfectly. Not generic. It adds so much flavor, so much color to the song. That's why I always respected Sean and Easton. And again, Neil Sean does it here with You Got the Best of Me. The problem I have with the song is number one, the production value of the song seems a little sludgy to me. I almost thought it sounded like it was a live track. It could have been, on my first listen, I thought it could have been a holdover from the old Journey live album Captured. And of course, I know it can't be, it's not Steve Perry, it's Arnold Pineda, I get that. But it otherwise, it sounds really like it could have been recorded live It's one of those journey songs, kind of like be good to yourself, where you know what you're getting. It's like ordering a Domino's pizza. You know what you're getting. It's not top of the line. But, you know, it's not a Jack's. It's not a tombstone. It's a little bit better, a little bit more reliable, a little bit tastier. but it's not like going to Geno's East in Chicago. You get what you get with this song, with Journey for the most part. Ringing endorsement? No, of course not, but I'll take it. I'm a Journey fan. Not one of my favorites, but I do like them, do respect them. So I'll take this one. I'll end up listening to it a little bit more before Freedom comes out. And then finally, of course, during the Rock Hall of Fame, I alluded to the other act I was going to review this week that I unfortunately believe will someday get in the Rock Hall of Fame because the critics fawn all over them, slurp all over them, love them, can't get enough of them, and I just can't figure out why. The black keys second release off their upcoming album dropout boogie is it ain't over and it ain't over encapsulates to me the reasons why i do not understand the appeal of the black keys I've listened to a lot of their albums. I actually own a couple. I've tried. As a rock and roll soldier, as a guy who is trying to be open-minded. Believe it or not, yes, I try to be open-minded. Maybe except when it comes to somebody like Rage Against the Machine. But... I have tried album after album to get into the black keys and there's always a few songs that here and there that are good that are interesting but they never seem to stray from the formula they seem to have a specific sound and they never alter it and they never vary it and i'm not talking about I've talked about bands in the past like U2, who I prefer to stay within certain parameters. Now, I'm not trying to pigeonhole them and say everything's got to sound like the Joshua Tree. But at the same time, they work better within a certain rock framework. When they go out and try to do disco or... Electronic dance music, it doesn't work. The Black Keys are almost the opposite, where they are so focused in on this little narrow formula for their sound, in my opinion. And then the critics come out and just fawn and adore and just can't get enough of them. It seems hypocritical to me. We just talked about Journey. And I mentioned how Journey got ripped apart by Rolling Stone every time they put out a new album because they were formulaic and generic and stayed within this small little path of music, songwriting, and performance. What are the Black Keys doing that's any different? Yet somehow everybody loves them. Maybe it's because Journey actually tried to to toe the line, you know, dressed like everybody else in the 80s, tried to do the right things and say the right things, didn't have a, a massive ton of internal conflict until after they'd already established themselves as one of the biggest bands in the world. To me, every time I, I see an interview with the Black Keys, I shudder because these two just sound like jerks. They sound like pompous, arrogant jerks. And of course, why wouldn't they be? Because of all the press that they get, all the positive, glowing press that they get. The first single off Dropout Boogie, Wild Child, was a little better than this little little more fierce little more energy to it it ain't over just doesn't do anything for me I can't recommend it I don't know we'll, we'll we'll review dropout boogie when it comes out I'll give it a shot and see see what I think of it I will fall on my sword for the fortress of rock in that particular review all right kids that's it for breakdown reviews are done for the week we're still not done though we've got our look back at rock history birthdays anniversaries classic album releases segment three is I want to go back so hang on I will be right back. All right, now that we've looked at the current state of music in our breakdown segment, it is time to climb into the DeLorean and travel back in time to look back at moments in rock and roll history, birthdays, deaths, anniversaries of song and album releases. It is time for I Want to Go Back, our tribute to Eddie Money. Stay tuned. And as always, we're on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, Castbox, Google, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, segment three here on The Fortress of Rock, episode 38. May the 6th, 2022. Glad to have you aboard as always. I'm the maestro Kevin Crane. This is the point where we start to look back in rock history. But of course, first, as always, on this particular segment, I like to give credit to a lot of my sources for some of these story ideas that we do week in and week out. Of course, I always mention... Ultimate Classic Rock, great, great website for reviews, news, history. Another great one for music history is thisdayinmusic.com. A little bit more of a UK-British slant, but still very, very good, very informative. And of course, because I am a Van Halen fanatic, anytime we talk Van Halen, I get a lot of my background material from the Van Halen News Desk. Make sure you check us out each and every week around the Fortress on Spotify, Anchor, Google, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, we should be there. All right, let's start off with birthdays first. May the 6th, pull out the big guns first, Bob Seeger, 77 years old today as we tape, born in 1945, glad to see, again, keeping with our Rock and Roll Hall of Fame theme for this week's episode, I was glad to see that the Rock Hall of Fame didn't push things too far back with Bob Seeger in terms of getting him into the Rock Hall of Fame, because that would have been a travesty. There was part of me that was worried. I'll admit it. Because Bob Seeger doesn't necessarily fit the mold of what I believe Jan Wenner and the other scumbags at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame want in terms of their little exclusionary club. bob seeger of course is in the rock hall of fame always liked bob never i was never a huge monstrous fan but never had a real reason to dislike him either Uh, put out a lot of great songs a couple of them that i definitely consider among my favorites but of course my favorites when i say that we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of songs. Um, even the the truck commercial song, Like a Rock, I think is just a great song in and of itself before it got commercialized. Against the Wind might be my favorite. If you notice a theme here. I always appreciated Bob Seger's Lyrics, when it came to observing the passage of time, getting older. Lessons we should have learned. Lessons we didn't learn. You could probably even take that as far as looking at Turn the Page. Now, I'm not going to disparage when Bob went a little bit poppy, a little bit more accessible. Not to say the previous songs aren't accessible, but yeah. oh, I've never, never been a fan of old-time rock and roll, that song. And, you know, after Risky Business came out, and it just seems like it's one of those songs like Bohemian Rhapsody, where it gets a new lease on life every 10 years it pops up in a tv show or a song or a commercial or a a movie i'm sorry of course it's a song it's going to turn up in a song as a song but i just never liked I, i'm not a big fan of those types of songs those songs that look back at old rock and roll and sing their praises and I'm not, I'm not trying to... I'd rather listen to the old rock and roll is what I'm saying. I'd rather pull out a CD with the Beatles or Chuck Berry or Herman's Hermits or anybody from the 50s and 60s instead of listening to a song from somebody two or three decades later singing about how great the old rock and roll was. Okay, then I'll go listen to that. I don't want to listen to your Your lame little tribute song and that's unfortunately how i always felt about old-time rock and roll another one like that that i am not a huge fan of is john mellencamp's rock in the usa just doesn't do it for me but anyway happy birthday to bob seeger In my opinion still a little bit underrated in terms of his influence maybe again it's just me growing up in the Midwest of course he is a Detroit man so he was one of those bands in the 70s that like a Ted Nugent Ario Speedwagon cheap trick even journey I know they're West Coast but I'm talking about the bands that played a lot in the Midwest because they knew where their fans were. Always been a huge fan of Hootie and the Blowfish. Yes, I know. You'll probably knock my opinion down a peg or two or 10 after you hear that, but I always loved, loved Cracked Rearview. I still think it's a fantastic album. Deserved every single copy sold that it got. Mark Bryan, the guitarist for Hootie and the Blowfish, turns 55 today. Of course, I don't know what the future holds for Hootie and the Blowfish. uh, Because Darius Rucker, the lead singer, is so popular as a country artist right now that... I can't hold it against him if he wants to continue down that path. I thought it was kind of nice a few years back. Got to see them when they did get together for an album and a tour. Solid album. Great and great in concert. Was not disappointed either way. But part of me just says... That hootie and the blowfish are done um, no animosity of course I think those guys all still get along really well to this day growing up in South Car- South Carolina they you know they were close close friends my daughter actually went to see a concert recently she's down in Georgia in college she drove up to Charleston south carolina to see a show recently and sent me a picture of the the map of the area surrounding the venue and one of the roads leading in was darius rucker boulevard (laughs) so that'll tell you how important hootie and the blowfish and darius rucker are to south carolina and charleston in particular but yeah in terms of the rest of the band mark bryan included I just don't know what the future holds for them. I I think they're already an anachronism. I don't think they fit. They're like a square peg trying to go into a round hole now. I will always respect them, love them. Let Her Cry is one of the saddest rock songs ever. It is. I defy you to argue with me on that because it is just a heart-wrenching gorgeous rocking song now of course a band that is not a square peg in a round hole a band that is right now the biggest band in the world is the foo fighters of course we'll have to see how they bounce back after the tragedy of taylor hawkins death but their guitarist Chris Shiflet, 51 years old today. There are so many ways this could go with the Foo Fighters. Um, And they deserve, if any band deserves time off, it's the Foo Fighters, because I've mentioned this constantly on The Fortress. They work harder than, it seems to me, work harder than any rock band in the world. Dave Grohl has always been a creative dynamo, a powerhouse, just can't stop. Movies, documentaries, concert tours, albums, helping out other people on their records. But now you got to wonder, after the untimely passing of Taylor Hawkins, is that going to make him reevaluate things is he going to relaunch his musical persona in another endeavor outside of the foo fighters maybe saying well without taylor who arguably was the second most important person in the foo fighters does he just decide to hang it up with the foo and and start something completely different time will tell and like i said let's give them time they really need time now again with with girl's persona with his personality it's only going to be a matter of time and not not that much time i believe before that creative itch starts getting to him and he's going to want to do something question is what All right moments in rock history of may the 6th paul simon started his first solo tour back in the early 70s on may the 6th i believe 1973 of course he left simon and garfunkel and again paul simon's one of those Arrogant rock and roll people that I don't think I would like meeting ever in real life. But you can't deny the fact the man can write great, great songs. And I'm sorry, all apologies to Art Garfunkel. Paul Simon was the brains of that outfit, that duo. And I think that's why he eventually realized I gotta go out on my own. So today was the day in 1973 when Paul Simon started his first solo tour. More recently, in 2020, on this day, Brian Howe died. Name it. a lot of you out there might not recognize, might not know or if you know, might not really understand the significance. Maybe it's more personal for me because it it was a great concert I saw when he took over, Brian Howe took over as lead singer of Bad Company after Paul Rogers left. Now, I was never a huge Bad Company guy, another band, even though I was not a huge fan of them another band that should be considered for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame now the trademark to me of bad company is very generic radio friendly rock songs that weren't necessarily overly creative to me they really did nothing in terms of stretching boundaries I mean, you want to talk meat and potatoes, rock and roll. Bad Company was the epitome of meat and potatoes, rock and roll, especially with Paul Rogers. Now, when Brian Howe came in, they seemed to get a little bit more of an edge. Not much. I'm not not trying to sit here and, and debate between the Rodgers era and the Brian Howe era of Bad Company. Because to me, both probably left a lot to be desired. But at least we're talking about the Holy Water era of Bad Company. It was different, and the songs, just like I said, had a little bit more to them. The guitars seemed to be a little bit heavier, maybe because they had smartened up and decided to try to go a little bit more, I don't want to say heavy metal, but hard rock instead of AOR rock. And Holy Water was a really good album. And that I saw them on tour with Brian Howe, and it was a great, great show. Unfortunately, the one thing I really remember from the show, outside of the fact that Bad Company really put on A great performance was that Tom Cochran was supposed to open for them and he got a little too big for his britches because Life is a Highway was hitting big. So he dropped out to go on a solo tour and they at the last minute brought in Larry Crane who no relation. haha. Ha uh who used to be john mellencamp's guitar player and he had formed his own band and i was extremely impressed with the larry crane band Um, one of the best opening acts i have ever seen so like i said it was a great night good vibes all night between the larry crane band and bad company of course now years later we all know Paul Rogers got back together for a time with Bad Company. It seems like Paul Rogers was in almost every freaking band there for a while between The Firm, and he sang for Queen. And then, of course, comes back to Bad Company, and they went out with Leonard Skinner on tour. Um, and I just didn't like the show as much without Brian Howe. I liked it more with him than with Paul Rogers. leonard skinner of course was much better in my opinion than bad company i mean bad company wasn't terrible that night set list could have been a bit better but again i have fond memories of brian howe fronting bad company last but not least If I had questions and doubts about some of you guys out there knowing who Brian Howe was, I'll throw a name out there for you, and I guarantee even fewer of you probably know who he is. On May the 6th in 2002, Otis Blackwell died. Who, you might ask, is Otis Blackwell? Otis Blackwell, believe it or not, has written songs that have sold upwards of 185 million copies worldwide. It was too hard for me to pass on this because I admit until I read this article, I did not know who Otis Blackwell was. I'm going to give you five songs that Otis Blackwell wrote. And then I think pretty much the discussion should end because <laughs> there's no way to argue that this lineup of songs does not make him one of the, the greatest songwriters of all time. He wrote Great Balls of Fire, Fever, All Shook Up, Don't Be Cruel, and Return to Sender. Yes those are all Otis Blackwell songs. So, if he were alive, that would be his his cue to do a mic drop. <laughs> but there you go kids. That's segment 3. I want to go back tribute to the late great Eddie Money. Episode 38 of The Fortress of Rock will wrap up here in a few minutes with our look ahead to some of the things we're going to be reviewing here over the next two or three weeks. So hang around. We'll be right back. Well, we hope you enjoyed our trip back in time, looking back at the anniversaries, the classic moments in rock and roll history. But of course, the DeLorean works both ways. So now we have to move forward The last segment here, as always, on the Fortress of Rock with me, the maestro Kevin Crane. Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It's all about the future. What's coming out here in the next month or two? What songs, what albums, what concert tours? That's why we call it Wrap It Up. Thanks to the fabulous Thunderbirds. Thanks to you for hanging out. Here comes our final segment. Welcome back to the Fortress of Rock. It is time, as always, here at the end of another awesome episode to wrap things up. Basically, a quick look ahead to what we are going to be reviewing over the next few weeks. Two songs I can guarantee I will have for you next week. We mentioned these last week. The Fix, fourth release of their upcoming album, is called Take What You Want. Yes, the exact same song title as the Def Leppard song we reviewed a few weeks back. Cosmic Rock and Roll Irony. Also, mentioned that Wilco's got a new album coming out. We're looking forward to reviewing the first single off of that upcoming double album, Cruel Country. The song is falling apart right now. I guarantee those will be on the slate for next week, as will a cheat week for me when it comes to album reviews. I don't normally like to review compilations, live albums, retrospectives, that type of thing, but I am going to make a rare exception here. Um because it is a band i am extremely fond of a band that i think is one of the most overlooked and underrated bands in rock and roll history new album new live album just came out today as a matter of fact so next next friday i will review it for you live at the house of blues september the 25th 2001 the knack course, Doug Fieger, lead singer, passed away years and years ago. So the knack, of course, is no more. But they dug up this show. I believe it's in Los Angeles. The House of Blues in Los Angeles is where this was recorded. Two weeks after the attacks on um, the Twin Towers in New York. Now, don't don't get the idea. Of course, the Knack were never known for political statements or being heavy-handed with their lyrics. There's a mention during the concert, I've listened to it already once, about what's going on in the world an illusion let's say to what happened not really a direct reference but outside of that it's basically the Mac saying let's just have a good time and party get our minds off the world's troubles there are some great cover songs on here in addition to a track off basically every one of their studio albums And a lot of it, of course, heavy on their first phenomenal debut album, Get the Knack. So next week, you will have me reviewing The Knack live at the House of Blues. Next week after that, I guess we'll probably delve into the Black Crow's new covers EP 1972 along with live albums, compilations, greatest hits. I'm not a big fan of covers, albums. I don't mind reviewing the occasional single a cover song, like Dirty Honey's Let's Go Crazy. Didn't have a problem with that, but an EP or a full album of covers always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But since this is the first quote-unquote new music we've gotten from the Black Crows in a long, long time, a couple weeks down the road, we'll take a look at it. Or should I say, take a listen to it. And then an album that I'm really worried about in terms of I'm looking forward to it, yet I'm not looking forward to it is skills album is called different worlds coming out on may the 13th so that'll be coming two or three weeks down the road for you the reason why of course i'm very cautious about saying anything about this album is because i've already reviewed the first single i was not impressed this is the band that was basically put together by the president of Frontiers records and kudos to Frontiers. They are the one label based overseas that is trying to keep the rock and roll flame alive. Um, They will basically sign and release any new music from any band from the eighties, that's still got a a yearning to put out original material. So basically what they did was they found a, a young singer to pair up with Brad Gillis, guitarist of Night Ranger, and Billy Sheehan, bass player from Mr. Big and David Lee Roth's initial solo band. Kind of a... 80s minor supergroup, I guess we could call it. But uh, I don't know if this kid is going to fit. It's just, he seems like, he seems like he was rejected in appearance and in sound from singing for Five Finger Death Punch or Shine Down or somebody like that. And I'm sorry, I'm just not a huge fan of the newer rock out there. I'm just not. I probably go as far timeline-wise as Godsmack and Nickelback, and then after that, I'm just out. I don't care about Breaking Benjamin. Like I said, I'm not five-finger Death Punch material as a fan. Can't stand Disturbed. Um... So you name the band that's been big over the last 10 years, and I'll probably tell you I don't like them. But we'll see how it works out. I will definitely be reviewing the album, Come Hell or High Water, because my man Brad Gillis is in it, and Billy Sheehan, of course. Respect those two so much. We'll see what kind of influence they have. On this album in terms of the songwriting in terms of the feel now the first song sounded more old-school which is good but again this kid's voice doesn't seem to fit that type of material again we'll see how skills turns out here in a few weeks on the fortress so that'll wrap things up here kids Friday night, May the 6th, I hope you have a great weekend. Take care of your mother. Take care of your wife, if she's a mother, or your significant other, if she's a mother. Party like a mother. (laughs) Do what you've got to do, but just enjoy yourself, because life is too short Have fun. Listen to some great rock and roll. That's what I'll be doing. I will check you out next week. Take care.